0: This morning, if you have your Bible, let's, uh, we're going to look at uh, different portions of Scripture. But I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to get to that in just a, a moment here. But Luke chapter 5. And I want to talk to you this morning about the fear of the Lord. You know, my mom is such a sweet lady. She's so nice. But when I was younger, she thought that she was a horrible mom. She had doubts about her skills as a mother because when she would go to spank me, I would curl up in a fetal position and start crying like a little baby. And she just felt horrible about it. And one day she, she told my dad, she says, you know, every time I go to spank him, it's like he's so afraid of me. Am I a horrible mother? And my dad said, that boy is fooling you. You hit that kid, and so she got over it real quick, and uh, she was no longer afraid to hit me, and I was no longer, well, let's just say I did curl up in a fetal position because she hit pretty hard, (laughs) so I did cry, but fear, sometimes we think about fear, it's not always a good thing, but yet fear is something that God has created and has given us, and I think that under the right circumstances, fear is a good thing. Fear, if you want to define it as a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. Fear is something that is good, it's healthy. But our society does not have a healthy understanding of fear. People are afraid to lose their job, lose their health, lose their grades. They're afraid of bacteria, they're afraid of... Of what they eat, they're afraid of what they touch, they're afraid of the government, they're afraid of retirement, and the list goes on and on what our world is afraid of. They're afraid. But I would suggest that living in fear is something that is healthy. But it must be the right kind of fear. God created the emotion and it it is to heighten our awareness. It is to make us know, to become alert that something is wrong. And God doesn't want us to dwell in fear, but we must be aware of that fear. It is to keep us focused on the important things. You know, the, um, the, the, the truth of the matter is winter is coming. Winter is coming. No matter how much you want to escape it, winter is coming. And with that comes cold weather and snow and those days where you just don't even want to go outside because it is too cold. But when you are driving in winter and all of a sudden those wheels start to slip a little, what happens? You grip the steering wheel, you call on the name of Jesus and you say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. If you take me right now, please let me enter to the gates of heaven. You know, amen. You know, you, you're highly aware, you're, you're intense, but you start to focus and you start to become aware of your conditions around you. And then you slow it down a little bit and you take more caution. Fear is a good thing. But when you live in fear that is unhealthy, your actions will begin to be shaped by it. Now, some people may argue, well, Pastor, you know, the Bible clearly tells us not to live in fear, right? Romans 8:15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba Father. First John 4:18, there is No fear in love, but perfect fear, perfect love drives out fear. Second Timothy 1:7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Clearly, we are not to live in fear, but fear is something that God gives us in order for, because it's what He created. And if you remember in Genesis, everything He created, it was good. And fear is something, though, that we are supposed to live in. It's called living in the fear of the Lord. Now, I do believe in living in the fear of the Lord. I don't believe in living in fear, but I do believe in living in fear of the Lord. It's not just an Old Testament thing either because Acts 2 tells us that everyone, in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. In the King James translated, the fear came upon every soul. Acts 9.31 That the Holy Spirit grew the church in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. King James tells us, walking in the fear of the Lord. Philippians 2.12 tells us that we need to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. But there is a point when you must understand the difference between walking and living in the fear of the Lord and living in fear. Because our world lives in fear. But we don't have to. When it keeps us from obeying the Lord, that's when fear has gone too far. When it keeps us from doing what God has won, that's when you know fear is unhealthy. Do you remember the story of the 12 spies that Moses sent out? And he tells them to go out to, to, to look at the land and to see what God has already given us. And they go out and they come back and what do they say? Man, this land is great. This land has a whole bunch of grocery stores, they got gas stations on every corner, these guys are civilized, it's beautiful, but there's just one problem, they're giants, they're huge, we look like grasshoppers, we can't go out and get those things, there's just no way. Moses did not go out and tell the 12 spies to go out because he wanted to see if they could do it. Moses sent them out saying, this is what God has promised you. Now go out and see what it's about. Go and look and see what, if God, when God delivers it into our hand, this is what we get. This is what God has promised. But the 10 spies saw with their eyes the huge obstacle that was in front of them and fear kept them from obeying the Lord. But two people did not Caleb and Joshua. They wanted to obey the Lord. Now I want to tell you something. I believe that Caleb and Joshua were human beings. And if they were going up to the fight, just like they would just years later and lead Israel into the promised land, you get a little fear. You get a little worry. Like, man, this is, this is real. Battle's coming. A fight is on. And that's natural. But it never kept them from obeying God. They continued to go forward. Just like my daughters, as they were getting ready to start see you at the pole. They were, they were a little afraid. What would people think? What would people say? What if they tell us no? And I told him, I said, listen, you're worried about things that may or may not happen. But you need to keep walking in faith and believe that God is for you and not against you and that he will give you and open up doors of opportunity for you. Don't be afraid. But they were still nervous. But one step at a time, they continued to do it. And that's what it's about, about obeying the Lord. When fear keeps you from obeying what the Lord wants, it's not healthy. So when is fear good? When is fear good? When it keeps you from doing wrong. Just like when my mother would spank me. We would literally call that beating today. But it was a spanking back then. And she used any obstacle she could find. You know, but I remember I, remember I was in, I was in a, um, a little community class of new parents. And, uh, and, you know, and I was the only guy in there, they were all mothers, and I was the only one, and I brought my son because my wife was sick, and she asked if I could take, you know, our firstborn child and go to this community thing to help us become better parents, and, um, and they were talking about how, how to raise the kids, and, and, uh, and you know, and our, we, we've only been parents for six months, and, or nine, nine months, and... And so we're there in this group and, and my wife's like, oh yeah, there'll be plenty of dads there. Nope, just me. And I'm sitting there around all these, these mothers and, and, um, and they finally said, well, let's, get a, let's ask a father his perspective on how to discipline the children when they're acting up in public. And I didn't know anything at the time. And so I said, well, I said, I don't know. I said, but my dad spanked me. It worked probably try that. And all the mothers just turned and looked at me like I was the most evil person in the world. One mother looked at me and said, you know, sir, there is an officer right there. And that officer was reading the newspaper. and Without looking up, he says, hey, man, just don't leave a bruise. Okay, Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that paddle, for me, Reminds me when not to do things. And I'm afraid to do things that are wrong. Why? Because there are consequences. So fear is a good thing. When it keeps us from doing wrong, it's a good thing. So what is the fear of the Lord, though? Because, yes, fear is an emotion. God created it. There's bad. There's good. There's balance that you need to have. But what is the fear of the Lord? And I want to tell you that it is probably one of the hardest things to define. But you could see it but it's hard to define. You kind of know it, but it's hard to define. So if I had to, to, to come up with a best guess of a definition, it is this, and this is just kind of my best guess of the fear of the Lord. It's this, it's a godly revelation that leads to humility and displays itself through obedience to the Lord. It's a godly revelation that leads to humility and displays itself through obedience to the Lord. Now, external obedience isn't isn't the fear of the Lord. Because how many know this? sometimes your kids, you know, your grandkids will clean something up when you ask them to do it, but their heart's not in it. They may, you know, just even last night, you know, we had an all day of volleyball tournament. We get home late, and then those girls heard those words they hate to hear. Girls, get the dishes done. You know, they do it, but I know their heart wasn't in it. And so... And so obedience alone isn't a sign of fear of God. That's why people say I'm a good person or I pray or I help my neighbor. They, they want to show you their external signs of why they are a good person or someone who loves the Lord, but it doesn't always display the fear of the Lord. And so I want to show you what the fear of the Lord looks like. And this is in Luke chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, one day when Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he got into off the boat, and one of them belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, answered, Master, We've worked all night, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down your nets. And when they had gone so, they caught such a large number of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell to Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for all people. You will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything and followed him. This one story illustrates what it means to have the fear of the Lord. And this is what I just like to, to focus on this morning. You have Simon who is an experienced fisherman and they've gone through the night and they have not caught anything. This was his job. This was his profession. He knows what he's doing. He's not like if you came to me and asked me for fishing tips, I would say ask someone else because I'm not a good fisherman where I grew up. The river was contaminated and so we didn't go fishing and the only thing that was in there were carp that seemed to be the only thing that survived in the rivers in Saginaw, Michigan. And so here we are, Here's Simon, and, and he's out fishing, and he knows what he's doing, but they haven't had any luck. It's just a, a part of the job. You have good days, you have bad days. And so he's cleaning up his boat, and he's getting everything all tidied, ready to probably go out again the next day. Jesus comes along, and he starts preaching to people, but he realizes he doesn't have enough room. So he asks, and he says, there's two boats there, and that, that, that's in there for a reason. Because, see, God chooses the right boat. God chooses the right thing. It's not just by happenstance. You're not here just because by accident. You're here because this is what God has chosen for you, and you've chosen to respond to what the Lord wants. You can disobey, but God is going to continue to reach out to you until you come and do what He really wants you to do. You can always walk away. You can always reject. But if your heart is set towards God, He will work out all things and bring it back for your good. So here, He chooses Simon's boat, and he says, hey, let's put out for a little bit, and let's just, I want to go preach. And so he's sitting there, he's preaching. And you think I preach long, Jesus was preaching forever. You know, he's just going on and on and on. And finally it's all done, and he dismisses everyone they go. And then he turns to Peter, and he says, listen, I want you to go out into the deep. Well, this was Jesus' first mistake. Because you don't go out to the deep to get the fish. But he says, I want you to go out to the deep. I want you to go and throw out your nets again. It's the middle of the day. You don't do this. And listen to Simon's response. Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. We've tried. There's no no fish today. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. This does not carry with it a sense of, yes, Jesus, whatever you want. This is like Whatever. And this is the way the tense is in the Greek. Whatever. All right, master. You think you know everything. I'll do it. And Peter's heart wasn't into it. But because Jesus, he knows that this teacher is pretty important. He's got this large crowd. He's speaking words that are resonating in his heart. Because remember, Peter's sitting there on the boat listening. And there's something about what Jesus is saying that he believes And he says, "Okay, fine. Whatever. You want me to go out and do it? Okay, I'll do it. So Peter goes out and they let the net down. And it was so big that they had to call their partners because they were afraid their nets were going to break. Now, think about this. This is his business. And what do you do with all these fish? You sell it to Culver's and they sell you a really good fish sandwich. Is that right, James? Right. They sell you a good fish sandwich. And, and, and you, this is your profit. This is your, this is your income. This is what people are after. And now you have one of the largest and probably the best day you ever had in your business. And he is surrounded by nothing but profit. And something changes in Peter. And look at his response. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord for I am a sinful man. Peter's heart went from, okay, if you say so, fine. We'll go out and do it. I respect you. I know you're a good teacher. I know people follow you. And if you want me to do this, fine. I'll go do it. And so he goes out and he sees it and all of a sudden Peter realizes what? I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I don't deserve to be here. I am a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be with him, to be with you. And this is what the fear of the Lord looks like. It's where you have this divine revelation from God who he really is, and humility comes in. Now, what is humility? Humility, you know, when we think about humility, we always think about, you know, the the image of someone with their head down and they got their hands, you know, bowed. And and just like I, I was... Helping out at the volleyball tournament, I, my wife was sitting in the bleachers, and I saw that she was a woman who was humble. She's there and she's praying, there, right there, just praying. And then I looked a little closer. Oh no, her nose was cold. She was warming it up. She was trying. She was freezing in there. Right? We have this ideal of what humility looks like, and we, you know, we were sitting there and we we think of someone just, oh, woe is me. You know, everyone's better than me. That's not humility. The best definition of humility is to have an absence of pride. And, and really what it means is this. I'm not God, you are. That's what humility really is. Because pride is, I'm God, you're not. And this was the whole reason why Satan fell. Because he wanted to be like the Most High. And he wanted to be like God himself. And so pride is simply, I'm God, you're not. But humility is, you're God, I'm not. And when you have that understanding... It makes a whole lot better life, living in life, when you realize that you're not God, and He is. Now, that's harder said than done because we are people who like to take pride in what we do. We like to be in control. You know, you always hear those, those statements that, you know, it's, it's, it's statistically it's better to fly because, you know, there's less accidents when you fly than when you drive, but... Who cares? I want to be in control of the steering wheel. The pilot isn't going to let me fly, so I want to be in control. We, there's something inside of us that wants to play those roles of being in control, and it makes us feel good. But when you finally have that understanding that it is God and God alone, that it is his will be done, that he is God and you are not, and I don't understand what I'm going through, but I'm going to trust you, God, even though it looks horrible, even though it doesn't look safe, even though it looks scary, I'm going to trust you. That's when humility comes in. Because for Peter, no longer was he the fisherman. No longer was he the professional. No longer was he the one who could make it happen. He realized that it was simply by the spoken word of the Son of God that made the difference. And all of a sudden, Peter had that deep sense, you're God and I'm not. And so later on when Jesus says, hey, people are talking about me. Who do, you say, who do they say I am? And then he says to Peter and the disciples, who do you say I am? And everyone, you know, oh, we study the scripture, so we know that you must be Elijah, or you must be this or that. And, and finally, Peter steps up and he says, you're the son of God. And what did Jesus say? This wasn't revealed to you by man. Because something revealed in his heart, and it was from the Father who let him know, this is my son. Which is amazing, because remember when Jesus was baptized. The voice from heaven says, this is my son who I am well pleased. I love him. God himself said it from heaven. This is my son. But yet when Peter said it, Jesus recognized it was a special revelation. And when you have that revelation, that understanding who Jesus is, all of a sudden, he's God. I'm not. Then comes a deep sense of humility. And because of that, because of that humility you display it through obedience this is one of the most fascinating things that when i read scripture is when jesus tells him simon don't be afraid now why would jesus tell peter don't be afraid because at this moment peter was afraid what did he have to be afraid of I mean, you're living in a great moment. This is a good moment. You have, your your boats are full of fish. Your partners are there helping you out. You pull up on the shore and Jesus looks at you and says, don't be afraid. I believe this and this is why I see what's happening here. Peter knows deep down inside that I got to follow this guy. I got to follow him. Now in our terms today, It would be a call for salvation. Do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And we would pray a simple prayer. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I commit my life to you. I'm no longer wanting to be in control. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want you to be my God. I want to follow you. And I'm willing to leave all of this world behind. To follow you. For Peter, this was his moment. And you could just, Jesus could see it in his eyes as Peter was wondering, how can I leave my family? How can I leave what I know? But there's something about this Jesus that I know he's worth following. I gotta, how can I do it? And you can just tell it's just building up in Peter. And finally Jesus looks at him and says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he said to him, from now on, you will fish for people. My daughters like to use the King James because they want to fish for men too, but I tell them, no, it's people. People's a better translation. But Peter knows that he's got to leave and he's got to follow. And there's a natural anxiety to say, okay, God, what do I do? Years ago when the Lord asked me to walk away from our primary income, I was afraid. And through the process of trying to figure out how we were going to support our family, I remember the Lord just kept telling me over and over again, you're going to have to trust me. Don't be afraid. You're going to have to trust me. Finally, <clears throat> the whole situation, if you're not aware of it, the whole situation was our company, the company that I worked for was being sold, and, and the owner of the company was kind of hiding some, some information from the owners to paint a picture that really wasn't true, and the owners were buying it under this ideal, under this thought that what the book said and what the resources they had were real, but they weren't. So the owner basically asked me just to kind of lie and and not tell any, tell the owners what to do what really was happening and what really we, what we had and and I just had a hard time because I'm like god i I don't want to lie and i I don't want to do it, so I called my pastor, I called my friends and and I said, "What would you guys do and And the majority of the advice was, "Well, just do what your boss wants you to do, and it's not you and i just I just had a hard time with it and so I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I, I had a phone call, a meeting with the owners, uh, a phone meeting and conference call, and, and it was coming soon, and I just, I just felt horrible. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I said, but I don't want to lie because I made a commitment to follow you, and then I know that's one of the things you don't like is lying. So it came down to the wire, and, and as I picked up the phone, You know, because back then, you know, you actually pick up a phone receiver. And I picked up the phone. And just as I was putting the receiver to my ear, the Lord told me this. He says, there is no plan B. And so I started to talk with the owners of the company. And every single question they had had something different to do with what they wanted to know. And then they finally came to that issue And they said, oh, by the way, don't worry about it. We know. Thanks. Click. I didn't even have to open my mouth. And then that's when I knew what the Lord told me. There is no plan B. He told me that day, that little statement was this, that if you just follow me and you put me first and trust me, there is no other option except my path for you. And if you just hold on to that path, I will make your paths straight, just like Proverbs 3 tells us. There is no plan B. And to me, that just puts such a deep sense of fear in my life, of respect. He's God, and I'm not. I don't have to worry about the details. I don't have to try to figure out what to do or, or how to do it. I just got to trust him. Now, God gives us wisdom, and he gives us the ability, he gives us the 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 work ethic and the skills that we need in order to do the jobs we have on earth, but I'm telling you, put the Lord first. Let Him be God. Let Him be first. When I was working at before I came to North Central, I was wanting to be in the a mechanical engineer, and I was already hired by GM to work in their engineering department, and and um, and they asked me to go and work in this area. Um, to understand what I would be doing, what I would be designing, and so I was actually working on the floor, and they, the owners, kind of or the supervisors kind of had a little, a little uh, uh, fun with me, and they put me in the worst job possible, and they stuck me in this corner, and they told me, you know, that, that I want you to as- to assemble all these pieces and basically come out with the steering column for the uh, Saturns at the time, and and, uh, and so I had to just go through and and normally there'll be 15 20 people on an assembly line but it was just me and I would go through and I would have to assemble and one guy came in and said here you go he says and by the way they think that you should be able to make at least 100 of these by the end of the day I said okay thanks and I just I went through and I started doing it it was it was tricky but you know what I start doing I just start praising the Lord because absolutely no one could hear me back then. And I'm singing, you know, give thanks with a grateful heart. You know, singing those old classic songs. I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, I look up and I see, towards the end of the day, I see three suits walking my way. And they came walking towards me and they said, Young man, come here. And I'm like, uh, okay, what did I do wrong? You know? Maybe I should have been not singing and pay attention to what I'm doing. You know, People trust these steering wheels. You know? And they said, come here, we want to talk to you. And they sat there and they sat me down and they said, what did you do? And I said, I was just doing what they told me to do and assembling this column. She goes, how come you have three times as much production than any single person that have done it with 15 people on the line and you did more than that, you did over 300. How did you do it? And I said... I just gave thanks with a grateful heart. I just sang and praised the Lord. And and uh, they scratched their head and walked away. And next thing you know, everyone's coming up to me, Pete, man, now you've changed the workload to 300 a day. Thanks a lot. Now they expect more out of us. But the thing is, is when you just put him first and you just let him be God, he will do things for you that you cannot imagine. And what does it do? It brings you back to that humility. And so my challenge for you today is I just as we talk about the fear of the Lord, is this. I just simply want you to have one of those revelations. I want you just to, just once again, just realize he's God and I'm not. How do you do that? My Sunday school teachers told me something that is still true today. Read your Bible, pray, spend time with him, and he will teach you those things. I, I, I like to be a man of faith. I like to just trust God. But I'll tell you what. It only comes, those moments of bravery and, and seeing God do the impossible only comes because I'm in that room on my knees saying, God, I need you to be God. I need you to be God. I need you to do what only you can do and I'm trusting you because I know this, that I'm not God and I know you are and you will never fail me. I know you won't because your word tells me that you are for me and not against me. I need you to be God. So, I know real, life is real and fear is real, and we go through a lot of different emotions, but I want you to trust in God. And so I want you to have those moments. So spend time with Him. Make it a plan this week to spend time with God. I, I miss being alone with Him. When I get busy and I have to do things... I just miss those moments. And, I, and I, don't get, I don't condemn you when you're busy, you know, because there's times where you just can't make it. There's times you, you can't pray as long, you can't read as long, and, and maybe you overslept. And you, I understand all that. But just get back to it. Get back to those times, and you will have a revelation of your own, which will cause humility, and it will be displayed through your obedience. Amen.